Move over, Harrison Ford. We have the real Indiana Jones with us tonight. I'm Richard. And I'm Gary. And these are our incredible stories. Hello and welcome back to all of our listeners from around the world and across the United States. We're so happy to have you back with us again for some more incredible stories. If you are listening for the first time, welcome to the show. Go ahead, sit back, kick your feet up, get yourself a drink. They're right there in the refrigerator and join us uh, for some uh, incredible stories. Uh, If you like what you hear, go ahead and hit that like and subscribe button and join us each and every Friday. And as a gift to you, we're going to treat you to free episodes of our show. Nope. You don't have to worry about it. Go ahead, put away your wallet. It's completely and utterly free. Um, that being said, we're back again with more incredible stories, and we have a returning guest, uh, Barry Anderson, and he is going to be sharing with us some more exciting stories because besides working for the film industry and doing incredible makeup, uh, Barry has done a lot of other incredible things oh and you know what he's connected with the uh, ripley robert ripley's uh, believe it or not museum and robert ripley is one of my nostalgic favorite characters i remember oh, yeah. seeing the cartoons in the the sunday newspaper yep, ripley's yep. believe it or not well you actually have a piece from the ripley collection i do that envelope i do i do i do and uh, i've got uh, that uh, giant uh, fellas uh, probably the last autograph he signed yep. you know the tallest man yep. in the world was that got, i think robert i've Wadlow? got uh, yeah robert ludlow was he and I've got uh, his uh, autograph, which was the last one he signed before he passed away. So with that, let's go ahead and uh, start off with the Ripley expert, Barry <laughs> Mr. Anderson. Barry Anderson. Hello there. Good welcome. to be here, guys. Yes, welcome back. Well, believe it or not, I worked for Ripley's, <laughs> believe it or not, company uh, for since let's see from 1994 to 2011. Oh, wow. And, uh, it was quite a, quite an interesting ride for sure. And, uh, yes, I, it was, that was a dream job. No doubt about it. I was always a fan of Robert Ripley and his books and the cartoons, uh, that were in the newspapers and to get a chance to work, uh, for those weird and the strange, uh, that was all about me, and I lucked out when I first moved to Central Florida. Uh, six months in here, I saw an ad in the newspaper, of all things, back when they had classified ads. <laughs> Can you believe I got this job through, through that? Really? And I was reading this ad, and it was very, didn't tell you exactly what it was about, but I said to my wife, hey, there's a, there's a job classification here for a wax artist. I said, what could that possibly be a candle maker or could it be a wax museum figure maker? And my wife said, well, I don't know. Why don't you just go ahead and send a resume and see what happens? And, uh, you know, lo and behold, the the rest is history. Oh, wow. (laughs) Incredible. I know it's not the, you know, I wish I had a better story, but it it is kind of a bizarre story and within itself that uh, nobody even you know, knows a lot of young people don't even know about the newspaper, let alone the classifieds <laughs> right. in the back of the newspapers, you know. What Absolutely. Is, what were some of the things you did at Ripley's, uh, Barry? Yeah. So I, when I, I was fortunate that the company, uh, Ripley Entertainment, had moved down from Canada 
to uh, Central Florida, and they're based here in Central Florida to this day. And um, they just opened up the art department. I was one of the first people to be hired into this new venture. And so they shipped a bunch of things down from uh, up there in Canada. And um, I, uh, so I got in there at the very beginning uh, here. And uh, so, you know, what a fortunate opportunity for me. And they hired me to be a lead figure maker. And so I got to design and create, uh, uh, you know, museum figures, uh, not only figures for the Ripley's museums, but they also owned, um, uh, you know, they had, uh, um, wax museums, uh, besides that and other businesses. So, uh, I got a chance to be involved in uh, designing a lot of things. So we made uh, the world's tallest figure whom you just mentioned, Robert Wadlow. I think he was eight foot 11. Uh, wow. now that's a big, that's a big museum figure right there. You yeah, need to have high ceilings to work on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the fattest man, uh, you know, the smallest human, the, you know, a lot of just very uh, strange and uh, interesting figures. And they were sent all over the world because Ripley's has museums. A lot of times when I told people I work for Ripley's, they thought I just work for one little museum somewhere. But the, the headquarters was in central Florida. And we, um, you know, shipped things out all around the world to Ripley museums that were scattered in, I think, at least 11 different countries or more. Oh, wow. And some countries had numerous museums. So the United States, we had numerous museums around. So these were, uh, you know, quite uh, interesting uh, projects. And, of course, uh, I just had a wonderful passion for everything strange and unusual. So it was a perfect job for me. Uh, and, uh, so yeah, got to make some of the strangest museum figures ever made. How exciting is that though? Yeah, that's pretty, yeah. that's pretty cool. Now, now Barry is, uh, that, um, Ripley's believe it or not museum in uh, St. Augustine. Didn't that, uh, belong to Ripley at one point? Wasn't that his home? That's right. And, you know, I remember uh, we were all up there together one time there, weren't we? <laughs> yes, yes, we were. We were. <laughs> I was escaping out of a bag, I think. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> that was a really fun day, by the way. Yeah. We can maybe talk about that later. But, uh, yes, you know, that uh, St. Augustine Museum was the, first of all, uh, it it has a history. It was a, a private home. Then it became a, a an inn. I don't know if they would call that a uh, hotel at one point in time, but Robert Ripley loved the place and he would come and stay as a guest there. Um, so that he, he loved that place and he wanted to purchase that place and make it a museum. Uh, unfortunately, Robert Ripley had passed away. I think while he was doing a live televised, uh, broadcast, uh, he was very, famous uh, my goodness he was a, a huge huge star and was on radio television he traveled the world everybody talked about robert ripley this eccentric artist who became a multi-millionaire uh and uh was syndicated all around the world with his uh, believe it or not so you know such an interesting man i mean for sure but uh i think after his passing they uh purchased that property and made it the first 
permanent, believe it or not, museum, uh, I believe. So, oh, wow. of course, my friend Edward Myers, the gentleman that I worked with for many years, he's the guy who bought all the uh, strange artifacts after uh, Robert Ripley. Uh, he worked for the company for well over 30 years. He knows more facts. He's a he is the historian to the company for sure. But I believe that that is how things worked out. Uh, and uh, so that uh, is the longest running uh, permanent Ripley's museum uh, that exists, and uh, it's really quite an impressive property. And of course, that uh, is a place where some of your wax figures are or were displayed, right, uh, Barry? Sure. Yeah. There's uh, I'm there's several pieces in there that uh, were made by me. And, you know, at one point in time, as I worked for the company, I ended up becoming the uh, director of the art department. So I had uh, several artists and artisans working under me. So, you know, there was a team effort here. Uh, I did do a lot of the designing and uh, development of first figures to be made, but uh, there was a group effort of talented people. We had a amazing costumer and hair persons that insert human hair into wax, uh, one hair at a time. This is something that I would not have the patience to do. I punched hair into things, but yeah. I, you know, go crazy after doing that for a couple hours. So uh, fortunately, I had some amazingly talented people that uh, helped me to pull off a lot of the stuff that we worked on. Wow. Oh, I'm just kind of a little bit shocked right now. That's actual human hair? I thought it would be like uh, synthetic or something. So that's real human hair. Well, we, you know, sometimes we would make figures out of, uh, now wax was the traditional uh, material that was used. And, you know, of course, that goes back to the ancient Egyptians and the Greeks. Uh, they were using wax to create the art forms and the uh, figures and things out of wax going way back. So there's uh, quite a history to that. But, uh, you know, some uh, there were times when people go, why do you guys use wax? You know, well, you can't call something a wax museum unless you're using wax. Of course, I think <laughs> that makes sense. I think uh, Madame Tussauds may have taken the word wax out of their uh out of the title of their museums now yeah. because, uh, you know, other uh, materials are starting, you know, starting to come out like silicones, yes. which have a translucent quality. But wax, you know, uh, was used for, uh, you know, they were medical, um, you know, teaching medical students. They would uh, make uh, diseases and anatomical studies out of wax uh, oh, wow. in, uh, you know, going back into, uh, the, you know, the 1600s, 1700s. Uh, there are some really incredible uh, examples of that out there. So, you know, this is, uh, you know, dis different diseases being displayed in museums and so forth. So, you know, wax has a, an amazing history and it did have that translucent quality and uh, Ripley's, uh, you know, we did a lot of the traditional methods. So that would require punching this hairs. And, and yes, real human hair would be used uh, oftentimes. You know, there were times we could get away with using synthetics or, you know, using wigs, depending on sure. what it was. But, yes, you could purchase hair. So there are people who grow their hair. And sell their hair. I, I, I joked and said they they're it's grown on a hair farm. Yeah, and they look at me. They look at me in horror. Like I, and I'm like I'm joking. I'm joking. Right. But 
but you know, uh, now uh, my son can grow hair like no person. He, he donated his hair at one time as a little boy uh, for uh, to have a wig made for cancer patients. So yeah. there are a market out there for uh, hair, so you can purchase real human hair. And uh, it's not cheap, you know, sometimes yeah, depending on the length and the color, it can get quite expensive, but it has the quality that allows the hair to be styled and cut and, uh, you know, it, you know, really lends itself to realism. So uh, in that case, because it is real. So wow. it really was the, uh, the material we wanted to use uh, for sure. So, Barry, one of the uh, perks that you had on the job as a, a director is you were able to, um, oh, uh, scrounge around in the uh, Ripley's uh, warehouse there in Orlando and come across some very unusual things that the public even didn't see because they weren't in any of the museums. Yes, yeah, so that was no doubt one of the big highlights of working for that company um, was that the art department was attached to the warehouse and through a big roll up door, we uh, got access to seeing so many uh, incredible artifacts, uh, antiquities, bizarre artworks, uh, you name it. There were so many fascinating items in that warehouse it was kind of like you imagine uh, Indiana Jones, uh, you know, uh, when he's looking in this warehouse and just sees these crates of yeah. all these artifacts stored by the government, you know, it, it was not quite that big. But you look and you see all these crates filled with wild things and, and props and unusual stuff laying around in there and no question about it that was one of my favorite places to go looking around and uh edward myers the gentleman again who uh, was in charge of purchasing so many of the uh, iconic items and taking care of uh, a lot of robert ripley's uh owned objects well uh he knew that i had that passion and a lot of times he would call me in and go hey you want to see something uh, interesting So I held in my hands uh, Tibetan skull bowls, which were, you know, Buddhist monks would uh, give their skeletons after their deaths to uh, the other monks to carve elaborate decorations into the bones. And they would make flutes out of the femurs and use the skull to do ritual, uh, drink ritual drinks out of them for, uh, you know, ceremonies and so forth. I don't know, you know, but to uh, have something like that that you could look at and actually put in your hands and study uh, was quite fascinating to me. Okay, you know, there were things that were lighthearted objects in there, you know, uh, giant uh, robots and uh, horses made out of car bumpers and, you know, all (laughs) kinds of, you know, huge uh, artworks made yeah. out of bubblegum balls. But the stuff that really interested me were the uh, tribal artifacts, the antiquities, the oh, uh, yeah. things that were came from uh, various cultures, and they were all shoved in this one space. So you've got, uh, you know, headhunters, Dayak headhunters, uh, you know, from Indonesia. You have 
you know, these head trophy heads, shrunken heads, which, uh, you know, are quite gruesome and uh, bizarre to think that this, you know, somewhere that the Havaro Indians uh, down in Ecuador by the Amazon basin yeah. uh, would uh, hunt down their enemies and uh, take their heads as a trophy and they would spend weeks uh, in a ceremonial process of shrinking the heads down and they would keep that. And there was a, there's, you know, I've studied this subject more than the average person, obviously. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, I remember ordering a rubber, uh, shrunken head out of the back of a comic book when I was a kid. And, oh, uh, yeah. Putting, hanging that from my bicycle steering wheel <laughs> or handlebars, you know. Right, right. And, hey, that weird Anderson kid, you know, you know, it stayed. My dad asked me at one time, you ever going to outgrow that weird stuff? You know, like, <laughs> no, I don't think so. I yeah, right. Why? <laughs> yeah. But, yes. The uh, warehouse was a fascinating place to uh, look around. So many historic items, uh, weapons, uh, you name it, uh, my goodness, you, you, you know, I just, it goes on and on, just thousands of objects, uh, vampire killing kits from the 1800s. Oh, yeah. My goodness. Those are so um, cool. Oh, gosh. If I could own something uh, like that, I think one just sold at auction uh, for $16,000 maybe oh, wow. uh, just this past week. Uh, so it's out of my price range. That's for sure. Uh, a little bit. But yeah. What a interesting thing to have. Right. And, yeah. uh, and then, seen, uh, of course you well, also, uh, you also came across some really pretty gruesome medieval torture devices. Didn't you Barry? You know, there are certain things that make you wonder about humanity and, yes. uh, it's, when you see stuff like that, it shocks you, of course, and that's part of, you know, the whole thing. You know, Ripley's does and always did do stuff to shock, and people want to be shocked. And there's that, I guess you would call it uh, oh, morbid curiosity, you know, to uh, look at things that uh, are so strange. But, yes, I mean, there were, I would walk by, and there's, a, an Iron Maiden from Nuremberg state right there. And I have to tell you, every time I walk past it, it uh, the hair stood up on the back of my neck. You oh, know, I believe it, just, it. I would get a shiver. I would get a shiver from that. And, uh, you know, I, you're looking at this thing and you're like, somebody designed this and made this. And, uh, you know, a lot of this was uh, persecuting people, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it, 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 it's just, you know, of course, uh, the castles in uh, Nuremberg, I uh, got uh, these uh, the uh, torture dungeon down there. It's, it, uh, you know, some stuff was from the Spanish Inquisition. Oh, and wow. so there were uh, many uh, artifacts like that, that, uh, you know, fascinating. And yet at the same time, just absolutely terrifying to realize that. There were people who made these and used these implements on other human beings. And so I will tell you that uh, there were, you know, if if, I wondered what happened, went on in this building at night when the lights were all out, you know, (laughs) there was, you know, you got uh, voodoo, hate God totems and Native American uh, masks. And uh, you have all these various religious items and war items. items, swords and uh, axes and uh, so forth, you know, you just can't help but uh, 
feel, uh, you know, I, I don't call me sensitive. I would guess to say that, uh, you know, there were things in there that I definitely felt had an energy attached to them, but that's my opinion. You know, these, somebody would say, well, that's nonsense, but you know, it is what it is. I uh, was fascinated uh, again, like uh, the moth to the flame with some of that stuff. But uh, you, you know, it's uh, you, you can't help with that morbid curiosity. Oh yeah, morbid curiosity. That those are the uh, those are the key words. And uh, speaking of morbid curiosity, uh, didn't you run into a, a clairvoyant at one time that had a morbid curiosity in what type of job you did? <laughs> you know. Yes, I uh, <laughs> went to a uh, I went to a psychic at one time, and you know uh, my grandmother was a uh, very talented, real psychic person, and uh, so I knew that people do exist. I had no question that have these abilities, but there's a lot of charlatans out there. So I went to a psychic woman, and I think it was kind of a just a, almost a lark, really, like well. Oh, let me just go and see uh, what this person has to say. But I decided when I went there that I was not going to tell them anything about myself. I was going to make them tell me something instead of me feeding them information like yeah. a lot of these uh, people do. So because they'll get you to tell them everything and charge you, you know, 50 bucks or whatever. Oh, yeah. So when, when I went there, I thought, OK, I'm going to just shut my mouth. And she looked at me and went, are you in the do you work with an, in the antique industry? And I went, nope. And she's like, hmm. She kept looking at me with an interesting look. She says, that's, uh, that's interesting because I see you handling really unusual antiquities. <laughs> and then she just said, and I went, oh, uh, okay, yeah. And she says, I don't know why or how you're getting your hands on all this stuff. But I see a lot of this stuff holds a very strong energy and you are sensitive to this stuff and should really be careful about the stuff that you're touching. Ooh. And she says, I'm, I have to ask you once again, what is it that you're doing and why are you touching all this really powerful stuff? And then I said, okay, it's, it's at my job. Uh, I work for Ripley's, believe it or not, and uh, <laughs> there's uh, there's a warehouse full of unusual artifacts. And she says, "You really need to watch what you're touching. You, you uh -huh. really should refrain from touching this stuff." Now it's funny. There was a few times in my career there where I had that thought. Yeah. And one time we were opening up a crate. I was asked to help open up a, some crates, and I opened up a crate. And one of my coworkers is. Was there, and this is like a. It reminds me of a, a horror movie, really. You know, you're opening up a crate, yeah, and yeah. this wooden crate, and it's got the I don't know what they the hay like stuff. In, I keep forgetting what the name of that packing material is, old packing material, and inside there is a diac, uh, a decorated skull from headhunters, and it had monkey skulls, boars' teeth, feathers. This thing was terrifying looking, right? Yeah. And on the side of the head was a hole where the person was killed with some kind of a hammer or axe or something. Yeah. And uh, the guy working with me says, bet you don't dare put your finger in that hole. Oh. 
And what do I do? Just like you guys dared me to touch the brick oh, in yeah. front of Ripley's Museum, which we could talk about. Yeah. I go and put my finger in the hole. And he looks at me and goes, dude, you're cursed, man. And that was the first time all of a sudden I cut. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And then all of a sudden I thought about it. I was like, oh, what in the world am I doing? Why yeah, would right. I do that? It's too late. You know, I thought, yeah, if you yeah. don't believe it, it won't happen. Nothing will happen. If you don't believe it, nothing will happen. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it made me think a little bit about that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, I wondered, there were times when I feel that maybe I felt like I got sick by touching things, felt physically like something may have affected me. So I don't know for sure. You can't prove that. Maybe I just ate the wrong thing that day or whatever. But no doubt, I started thinking about this stuff. So when this lady told me that, I thought, okay, well, thank you, ma'am. Here's your $40. Uh, and, uh, I walked out of there, you know, thinking, well, this lady really did have, uh, some true, uh, abilities. And so I thought uh, from now on, I'm going to be careful about touching this stuff. I'll put rubber gloves on or stay away from things. You know, about a week later, like the guy, somebody says, Hey, can you help us unload a truck? Okay. Stop everything. What I'm doing, start unloading some stuff out of a truck. And here's this old car uh, it looked like late, late 40s ni- early 1950s it's a huge you know monster of a car right and they're like can you get inside this car and help steer the thing in the building while we push okay sure so I get in the car and uh, they're pushing I roll the window down and I'm like so what's the deal with the car and they said oh this car belonged to Lee Harvey Oswald oh. and this is the car he drove to the book uh storage facility where he assassinated Kennedy. And I thought, Oh my gosh, I'm not just touching an object. I am enveloped inside an object, you know? So, yeah, uh, you know, just uh, an interesting situation. No doubt. Of course. So Barry, um, after that, um, a uh, little episode with the psychic, uh, you, uh, put, uh, shrunken heads in your past and, uh, you uh, didn't drive out of uh, Ripley's in the Lee Harvey Oswald automobile, although you came close. And then your career took a, a, a different turn when you uh, left uh, Ripley's. Uh, and uh, or, or maybe you were still working with Ripley's. I don't know. But you have some interesting uh, TV experiences with PBS and the Learning Channel and National Geographic. And here... Here is where your story takes a drastic turn into the incredible because you almost became a real-life Indiana Jones searching for Peruvian mummies. <laughs> well, I, to, to compare me to Indiana Jones, my goodness. You know, I will tell you, though, it was an arduous trip. But first, let me tell you how some of this stuff started to happen. You know, through the years while I was doing makeup effects work in mostly B-movies, I got a chance to work with the Miami-Dade coroner's office when they hired me to uh, recreate crime scenes for training police officers to how to photograph uh, crime scenes. And I really found that to be quite fascinating to see what everybody did and how they did that. And uh, through the years, I got involved with um, working with police agencies 
and uh, emergency, uh, you know, uh, preparedness uh, type stuff. So this were all things that were very interesting to me. And I did, you know, when I was working at Ripley Entertainment, one day we had some special guests come in. And these gentlemen were there to see a mummy that was in the warehouse. Now, uh, when I realized who they were, I was quite surprised and uh, extremely thrilled to find out that a show that I had been watching on television, on National Geographic Channel, called The Mummy Road Show, the stars of the show, um, Gerald Conglahue and Ronald Beckett, who are professors from Quinnipiac University, they were in the building and came to film one of the episodes of the show there at Ripley Entertainment. And uh, I was so excited. I was just told them, oh, I am a huge fan of yours. And they, they liked that. <laughs> They're like, wow, <laughs> thanks. You know? And I said, uh, I have a shop full of tools and uh, stuff. If you need anything, let me know. And I will be here to be your assistant uh, in any way possible. So next thing, got to have any duct tape? Absolutely. Here's some duct tape. Uh, can you get a, you get a drill? You know, yep, yep. <laughs> and, uh, you know, of course, uh, this was fascinating. And these gentlemen uh, do something where they went around the world on this TV show studying mummies from around the world. And they did something called paleoimaging where they would study these mummies without damaging them by x-raying the mummies and using uh, endoscopy. Uh, so Jerry was an x-ray expert, and he carried uh, a portable x-ray machine around, and Ron had the endoscopy, and they would study. These guys are brilliant, by the way, and they're, I consider them great friends, wonderful guys. And uh, so... Here they are um, examining this incredible mummy. Uh, we had, there was actually a couple mummies, and we had mummified uh, Egyptian animals as well in the warehouse. I mean, you name it. There was some interesting stuff there, of course. So here they were studying this mummy, and I um, got to be there and watch the whole thing. Well, that was on a Friday, and came to find out that they needed – to come back in on the weekend and I offered to come in and, uh, help them and, uh, keep, you know, be there for them. So I got a chance to really spend more time with them and get to know them a little better. And uh, likewise, uh, coincidentally, I was making fake mummies on my own for whatever unknown reason. And my wife said, why would you want to make something that horrible? I say, because I like stuff like this. <laughs> so I gave them a tour of the art department, which they saw a, uh, a figure of Jeremy Bentham, who was an eccentric gentleman from England from the 1700s who had his head mummified. And he, there was under a glass dome and they made a waxed effigy of, uh, of this gentleman and uh, I believe his body was stored at Cambridge uh, University. And, you know, I'm not sure uh, exactly, but he, in his will, had it so that he would be brought out once a year 
for a uh, special meeting. And um, so, interestingly, uh, Jerry and Ron had just been over in England seeing the real <laughs> Jeremy Bentham figure. And then they saw my replica of it, and they were really impressed with that. And uh, I asked them, do you mind looking at some uh, other mummy things that I make? And uh, I showed them, and they were like, wow, this this is great stuff. Uh, are you for hire? <laughs> well, uh, yes, I, I certainly am. I'm, I'm, I'm available at any time. And they hired me to recreate an Incan King mummy that oh, uh, wow. they were going to use for a recreation in one of the episodes of their uh, show. That is I awesome. I think it was called Holy Mummy or something like that. But uh, so interestingly, I was, of course, over the top thrilled with this opportunity. Yeah. And of course, out in my little garage again, you know, I'm out there toiling away, making this mummy after studying photographs of the Incan mummies. And I think my neighbor across the street who, uh, you know, I've had a couple neighbors come checking on me what in the world I'm doing, but. I happened to have a neighbor who was an anthropologist that lived across the street. Oh, I didn't wow. even know she was. A, I didn't know she was an anthropologist. I just know she was a lady that was nice, and I waved at her. You know. Yeah, yeah. She finally came over. I was like, "What are you doing?" You know. I was like, "I'm making an Incan mummy." Well, we became very good friends, and I have a quite a large library of uh, anthropology books now. <laughs> uh, this all this stuff sort of started steering me into a different direction in my life, but. Um, I made the replica. They were thrilled with it, and they shipped this mummy all the way to Peru to film this reenactment scene. Now, the funny part is, in Peru, there's thousands of mummies, hundreds of mummies, <laughs> I don't know, all through the country of Peru. But here's the spake mummy that I made gets shipped to this incredible, uh, far place, uh, reaching place. And right now that mummy, that fake mummy is sitting in a museum in Lima, Bamba, Peru, uh, with over 230 real mummies. Uh, the last I saw it was still there because nobody really wanted to go through the trouble of bringing it. Uh, it tried to ship it all back. Oh, wow. To, you know, to the States. And it was uh, there. And I think that they, they said, this is a fake mummy from a reenactment from national geographic. or something. So, uh, it, it's funny that, uh, my fake mummy ended up all the way that was made in my little tiny garage here. I ended up taking such a trip, but That's awesome. after that, what happened, Jerry, asked me if I would like to join him and travel to Lema Bamba, Peru to study real Chachapoyan mummies with a group of scientists. Wow. Now, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Here I am. I'm a, I grew up a poor kid living near a tool factory, a little town, Jamestown, New York. Uh, ended up uh, being a little eccentric and uh, wanted to follow an art career and, you know, just did whatever. And now I hear I get this opportunity and they paid my way to travel through uh, funds from the Quinnipiac University to assist him in x-raying and photographing and studying these mummies that, uh, you know, the, the Chacha 
Sequoia people, I think they were um, at the height of, you know, this is talking about, uh, my goodness, going back uh, quite a ways in history, but um, they, they weren't ancient like you would uh, think of uh, the, the Egyptian mummies, but yeah. the Chachapoyan people were known, they were called the uh, warriors of the clouds, and the, the Inca gave them that uh, uh, title because the Inca tried to um, take them over and they uh, fought the Inca really hard uh, back in the 1400s before the Spanish arrived. So, you know, this is uh, you know, before the Spaniards came, the uh, Chachapoya put up a fierce fight with the uh, with these gentlemen or with the Spaniards, I should say. And uh, eventually they lost, unfortunately. But by the 1530s, the Spanish... Uh, Came and then the Incan Empire ended up uh, falling. So you know, there's some interesting history there. Oh yeah. But so we took off on this amazingly gruis- grueling uh, uh, trek to get to this place. And so I flew from uh, Central Florida to Miami, from Miami to Lima. I met up with Jerry in Miami. We got on the flight to Lima. From Lima, we got into another little flight and shuttled up to uh, to some other place north of Lima. Can't recall the name of it now. And um, from there, a gentleman met us in a bus, a little van type bus. And uh, we got in there, and I I don't know how long it took. It felt like it took a couple days of long, arduous travel going through them. The Amazon, we were in what looked like desert. We were in the the rainforest of the Amazon basin area. We ended up going up into the Andes Mountains. We kept going and going, and we ended up being, oh, gosh, I don't know. Uh, it was 7,000, between 7,000 and 8,000 feet up uh, above sea level into uh, the uh, this area called Lema Bamba community which was a town built by the spaniards had a a church and a town square it was an incredible place it's like being uh going back 200 years in time almost very little traffic cobblestone streets uh this is not your tourist destination this was really the roads i mean i'm talking cliff sides with no guardrails that drop deeper than the Grand Canyon. And you're, and here comes another vehicle going around the cor- sharp corner oh. and you're on the edge. I, uh, Indiana Jones showed no, well, except for snakes. Indiana Jones <laughs> did not like snakes. No, he and did not. I don't care for snakes either. I think one of the things about my trip was the spiders got me more than the snakes. Oh, but, I bet they had some big know. ones too. Oh my, uh, yeah, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, Jerry wrote a book called Mummy Dearest, uh, Jerry and <laughs> I love it. they wrote a book out called Mummy Dearest and they, they, they mentioned me in their book and they poke fun at me a little bit for uh, not being a world traveler uh, used to such uh, interesting uh, situations and you know, it, it was all an incredible uh, opportunity 
which I would, you know, loved every minute of it, except for maybe the spiders and certain little things. But other than that, it really uh, was uh, incredible. Once we got to where we were going, uh, there was a woman named Sonia Guillen. She is a bioanthropologist from uh, Peru, and she they built a museum in this little uh, community in Lima Bamba, and uh, they. St- now have over 230 muse, uh, mummies stored there. Wow. But they realized in the late, I think it was, uh, they realized that the, the museum was opened in the, in the uh, in 2000, I believe. So it was, you know, it was a beautiful place. And they built it in the designs of how the Chachapoyan people built their um, buildings and homes which were circular stone buildings. They were uh, incredible masons uh, with stone, and they had sort of thatched round conical roofs to go with these. So the museum fits in with this incredible environment there, and it's community-run. But the whole idea was that they were trying to save these mummies from looters, which uh, had attacked and destroyed several of them and left a lot of the mummies out uh, being exposed to uh, the environment out on these cliff sides, in these remote cliffs. So they uh, salvaged and saved these mummies. A lot of people would say, oh, leave the mummies alone where they're at, you know. Right. And sadly, they were there for hundreds of years, sitting up there uh, overlooking the valleys, the deep valleys up on these high cliffs, very, very difficult to get to. Mm. But yet, Somebody came and hacked them looking for jewelry and looking for gold. Uh, Also, they discovered that there were Inca um, mummies mixed in with the Chachapoya. So after the Inca had uh, taken over, somewhere along the line, they uh, put some of their uh, dead there as well. And so, you know, when we got there, we were studying these mummies, photographing them. Uh, and uh, the mummies are bound up in a fetal position, mm-hmm. wrapped very carefully with cloth. You could see that they really uh, revered their dead. This is their family members. They cared for them very much. Uh, they prepared them for the next uh, uh, move to the afterlife. And yeah. so you could see that the uh, Tachapoyan people, despite the fact that they were the warriors of the clouds, they also uh, really took care of their uh, family members and their revered uh, community members. And so there was no doubt about that. But, you know, in the name of uh, preservation and science, uh, the scientists from uh, several places in the, around the world were there to study diseases of the ancient people. Uh, looking for osteoporosis, lung diseases. So of course, a lot of that came from Europe when the after the Spaniards came. Sure, uh, but uh, they, you know, could see that there were certain malnourished uh, mummies that may have gone through, you know, certain times where the food was difficult or something. Uh, now the place is very plush up there and covered in clouds uh, and uh, just uh, it, it is an amazing place. Hundreds of different types of hummingbirds flying around in plants. Uh, it's very moist and plush there. And, you know, so there was even a, uh, I think it's called an entomologist, uh, somebody who studies bugs. 
yeah, yeah. there. And uh, I, he was, <laughs> this gentleman, I, he was pulling the fly larvae, ancient <laughs> fly larvae, out of the fabrics oh and studying them. And he was studying flies that were in the area by putting some meat in a jar out there and collecting. Oh, geez. <laughs> it's incredible, you know, you think yeah. about but one of the things that, uh, of course, in modern science now, in forensics, they study crime scenes by studying insects that are uh, involved so they can tell how long has that body been there, how long, uh, you know, the, by the, the life cycle of the flies and so forth yeah. and beetles, um, so, and how long did it take to uh, make, have that body disintegrate and so on. So there is, uh, uh, you know, this tie-in with uh, the entomologist in that realm as well. You know, it was uh, an amazing, amazing opportunity. I pinched myself a few times while I was there and giggled a little bit like a little girl going, I can't believe I'm here doing this. Uh, really uh, life-changing. It really was truly life-changing. And uh, since then, I've had uh, such an interest in, I've always had an interest in anthropology and archaeology and so on. But uh, it continues on, and uh, I just you know can't thank uh, Jerry and Ron. Uh, I just I can't enough thank them for what the opportunity they gave me. I think our appropriate theme music for tonight will be dun 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 dun. I tell you, that really is uh, an Indiana Jones style adventure. But that's that is absolutely incredible. Uh, Barry, I have to say, we, we got to thank you again, uh, for, for coming back onto the show with us and, and sharing some more of your interesting stories. And, uh, I, I can assure everybody that, uh, we will be having Barry back again and he yes. will be sharing some yes. more yes. exciting stuff because this is only the beginning. So <laughs> not the end. <laughs> yeah. Not the Fantastic. end. Fantastic. I really enjoyed myself, no doubt. And, uh, you guys are wonderful. Well, thank you, Barry. We appreciate it. And we look forward to having you back again with us. And uh, as of for right now, I'm uh, Richard. I'm Gary. And thanks again to Barry. And if you uh, liked what you heard, make sure that you subscribe to our show. New episodes are every Friday. And until next time. <laughs>